Well, Jill, I know I saw you just had surgery. Uh, tell me about that injury and, and all that, uh, that whole process. Yeah, I just had um, major spine um, surgery on two levels. I had cages, screws, plates installed. Um, and this was my second back surgery. Um, I had one when I was 29 years old. And uh, the, the surgeon said that I would need a fusion then, but that I should wait a few years since I was only 29. Um, but yeah, so after my surgery, my husband and my mom were talking to the surgeon and they recorded him with his knowledge. So I've gotten a chance to listen to it. And it was very validating because he, my mom asked, you know, why I'm so young to have this much damage to my spine. He said it looked like he asked if I had played football. He was like, she doesn't look like she would play football, but I've seen this type of injury on like people that get tackled a lot. And it looked like um, this was something that happened to her in her youth. Um, and he did not know about, you know, me going to camp, but yeah, yeah. Uh, out of the camp, um, we all got restrained a lot, um, thrown to the ground, set on. Um, either by the female counselors, um, but sometimes they would call for backup and we would get restrained by the male counselors. My second day out there, I actually, uh, when I thought the coast was clear, I made a run for it to try to find a phone to call my mom and tell her what, you know, please come get me. And as I was running, all of a sudden from behind, I get thrown to the ground um, by one of the men counselors and he sat on my back so that happened a lot a lot and and being out there for so long too um you know even before I left like the week before I left I was restrained even though I was good enough to go home so restraining is is they would try to get you on the ground as fast as possible um and that meant like kind of doing like a sweep, sweeping your legs out from underneath you, sitting on your back with your hands behind your back. Um, and that just happened. I can't even tell you how many times a lot. <laughs> so yeah, that is what my back injury was from. Well, how's recovery going? Recovery's good. I, uh, I had lost feeling in my foot back in August and um, so they wanted me to do the surgery then, but since I'm a busy hairdresser, I wanted to wait till after Christmas so my clients could get their hair done. Um, so I, when I woke up, I could feel my foot again for the first time since, you know, 10 months. That was cool. I'm still, it's still a pill battle, but oh man, I'm doing so much better. I've been living with this for, you know, decades and I am hopeful I think it's going to be a new lease on life for sure. Yeah. I want to learn how to skateboard. Well, maybe, maybe not skateboard, but I want to do something, <laughs> learn something new physically. Nothing like taking chances after getting cages and screws in your spine. Yeah. Parkour. <laughs> Go mechanical bull riding. <laughs> Make, put it all on the list. <laughs> In fact, oh. do it all before you publish your book. We'll discuss it all next visit. How's that sound? That sounds great. <laughs> Welcome back to the Getting to Know You podcast. I'm joined today by Jill Kenny.
She's been a hairdresser for over two decades and is now an aspiring author. There's a story to her that I want to know. Jill, thank you very much for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me, Tim. First of all, tell me about this book project. Well, um, about two years ago, I decided, well, I'm getting older. I need to start writing down this crazy thing that happened to me when I was 14. And I did not intend it to turn into a book, but it really just developed into a book. It was, I wrote it uh, first person and my husband read it and he was like, you have got to turn this into a book. So yeah, that's how that started. How many pages have you written so far? Um, I have approximately, I'll, I'll tell you word count, 45,000 words. So I need to up my word count, um, about to do a rewrite. I feel like there's enough space uh, between my first write and, and now that I can go back and reflect and flesh it out more. Well, let's talk through the first, uh, first 14 years of your life from birth <laughs> un until you went to this, this bad girl camp. So tell me, where were you born? Um, I was born in Arlington, Texas, if you can't tell by my accent. Um, and that's where I was living. Um, and Arlington is like a suburb in between Dallas and Fort Worth. Um, and, and when I was growing up, it was, I mean, you think of the suburbs, it was, it was pure suburbs and, and the neighborhood I grew up in, um, was pretty, uh, like, like I grew up across the street from a tennis club. So, you know, there was, people had some money. We didn't, but. Did you have any siblings? Yes, I have two older brothers, um, and they're quite a bit older than me. My oldest brother is seven years older than I am, and then my other brother is five years older than I am. So I always grew up wanting to do what they were doing, riding bikes. Um, we were always playing tricks on each other, like pulling pranks. We used to put pantyhose on our head in the summertime and go trick-or-treating at our neighbor's house. Just weird. It was it was kind of, we didn't have, you know, a lot of technology. Um, so we just made our own fun, but it was all mischievous fun. Nothing too bad though. Any certain pranks stick out in your mind? Yeah, actually. <laughs> when, uh, yeah, my, my, one of my brothers, Jason, was supposed to pick me up from summer school one year, and he didn't, and I had to walk home. It was so hot, you know. Uh, so when I finally got home, I stuck a banana in his tailpipe, and it actually killed his car. I don't know if it, I don't know if it was the banana, but his car didn't work after that. That's curious. Yeah. Well, let me back up a little bit what did your parents do for a living um for a big chunk of my life my mom didn't work she was a stay-at-home mom um my dad my dad did a lot of different things he he had a car dealership for a while um he sold insurance um but growing up around the time that i got sent away he actually sold limos so we always had a limo. He would drive him around and he would drive me to school in a limo. Oh, it was so embarrassing. 
at the time. I wouldn't be embarrassed now. I would love it. But, you know, being 14 and especially the era that I grew up in, it was real like grunge was cool. Um, And maybe it was also the neighborhood that I was in. Um, I just didn't want to appear to seem like we had money. Like that would just, that was. mm -mm. So when we pull up at, at, at middle school in a limo, I would sit in the front and my dad would get out and, you know, open the car door for my friends and I would run out as fast as possible. Mm. Well, how was school? How were you in school growing up? Um, I was always in, I was always in trouble in school. Um, I think it was a combination of, I was really young for my grade. You know, my birthday's in July. And so ultimately when I graduated, I was 17. So I had that and I probably had some major ADD. So I was just constantly zoom, 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 zoom. Um, So I would get paddled a lot. Um, But other than that, I I really liked school. I would, I liked my friends and yeah, but I was just in trouble a lot, a lot, a lot. Any certain courses you were drawn to? Um, I loved English. I loved anything physical, PE, stuff like that. Um, I won the hula hoop competition in fifth grade. I beat the whole school. <laughs> um, I, I, I just, I liked the schedule or the, or the uh, routine of it was fun for me. Yeah. Well, what were you doing cutting up all the time that was kept you in trouble and then eventually got you sent away to the woods or something? Well, so yeah, I, like I said, I was consistently in trouble in school. And once I, I feel like once kids get that stigma attached to them, it's hard to shake. It's real hard to shake. Um, and also my dad, you know, cause I'm the youngest, my dad at some point had told the school, listen, if, if my kids are ever in trouble and you need to paddle them, you have my blessing. My theory was if a teacher or something was having a bad day, they'd say, get one of those kinnies in here. Let's paddle them. But I think because I thought I was bad, which I wasn't, um, that just escalated my behavior as far as like, I just got to a point where I didn't even want to go to school. So I was kind of ditching school a lot. Um, And then as far as my family life at the time, things had fallen apart. Um, The house that I grew up in, uh, my parents got divorced and and my mom moved down the street into a different neighborhood. Um, And so I moved with her. Uh, My middle brother stayed with my dad in the house we grew up in, but me and my older brother moved down the street. This little sub neighborhood was full of single moms and, you know, like my mom. And so kids were left to their own devices. So we would, I mean, talk about pranks. We would, you know, fireworks and, you know, trying to outdo each other. Um, So, you know, there was a lot of stuff like that. Not, I I had not done drugs. I was not doing drugs Um, and no boys yet either. Just, you know, the occasional wine cooler and cigarette. So, but also, you know, 
once we moved to that second house, I was also very, you know, uh, obstinate is the word. Um, I just was like, I will do what I want anytime I want. I think our family was focused on just staying afloat with the divorce, moving, some deaths in the family. And I was over here doing my thing. So when things started to calm down and everyone turned their attention back to me and they were like, oh, Jill's out of control. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've already been doing what I want. You know, leave me alone. Did you attend college? Um, No, I did not. I, well, I take that back. I didn't graduate. I, I went to, I went to a couple semesters and then I decided to go to hair school. So I went to hair school. Tell me about your, your, what you can about your deportation and your experience at bad girl camp. Yeah. So, okay. Um, one day I came home and first of all, I was walking with a, a friend of mine, um, down the street and I saw the limo parked at my mom's house and I was like, uh, oh, this can't be good. My dad's here. I, I walk in and my whole family's there. And basically they had an intervention. They set me down. They told me I was going away um, to a camp. And I, I had been to like a summer camp before, like a normal kid's summer camp with swimming and canoeing. So that's what I thought they meant because it was almost summertime. And I was like, okay. But then they were like, no, you're going to be living there. <laughs> And I was like, the hell I am. Um, what was the punch list, if I may? What were your transgressions that drove this? There, there was never any one thing. That's what's so confusing. And that's part of the reason why I wrote the book. It was such a, I mean, I was, again, constantly in trouble at school, like getting detention and just for, you know, things like talking and cutting up. But also at home, my mom was grounding me and then I'd sneak out. So I was just misbehaving that way. You know, I was disrespectful to my mom, but nothing that warranted a whole, you're out and you're going to live in the woods. So it was no substance abuse, nothing. Never, 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 ever. (laughs) At least at that point in my life. No, I... Again, you know, wine coolers and cigarettes. Well, I did kind of um, cut. I did kind of cut you off. Tell me more about this this intervention and your eventual move to this camp. Yeah. So okay. So they did the intervention, and I was, you know, freaking out. But also in the back of my mind, um, I thought I could manipulate my mom and talk her out of this. You know, talk sense into her because um, I had some time before I, I went off to the camp. Um, the, the camp sent a list of like things that we needed. So we needed like, and, and she took me shopping for these things, like a giant trunk, chapstick, sunscreen, a big down coat, you know, all these summer and fall and winter and spring things just in case. So we're out buying these things. And in the back of my head, I'm like, no way she's going to send me no way. So they, I actually went out there with my parents to do a camp visit. Um, and it was like a two and a half hour drive out there. 
my dad and my mom and I go and visit. And I got to ask questions to these girls who are looking at me like, what the hell are you doing here? They brought me up in front of the classroom because they went to school three hours a day, three days a week. Um, and when I was up in front of these girls that had already been living in the woods for God knows how long, they were like, why are you getting sent here? And I, I didn't know what to say. So I was like, I don't know, mom, why am I being sent here? Well, I later found out that really offended the girls out there, the 14 year olds. And they were going to beat me up my first night out there because I had disrespected my mom. But I made them laugh, so they didn't beat me up. So once they actually, once the day came, still in the back of my mind thinking they're not going to do it. This was in September. How much time since the intervention until you had to, to go out there? I would say the intervention was in June around this time of year. And then I left in September. So I had that, you know, summer to work on my mom and be on my best behavior and try to be the perfect daughter and the perfect kid. And yeah, but it didn't, you know, they had their minds made up. Um, so as they were bringing me out there in the back of my dad's limo, had my headphones on. I mean, it's so surreal. And um, I just, they got lost. And I thought, oh, good, they'll give up. They'll give up and we'll turn around. They'll realize how stupid this is. I'm being good. But they found, the, found their way back and they dropped me off. And it took me a good two weeks to realize that they weren't going to come back. I mean, I just every day kept thinking they're coming back. I'd wake up in the morning. Are they here? Are they here? I just couldn't imagine why. Uh -uh. No. <laughs> how long were you out there? I was there nine months. A lot of the people that were out there were there for three to six months. That was the average stay. A lot of the people out there were also court ordered there um, by judges. Um, yeah, so you had to be from Dallas County to attend this camp because it was out in East Texas. Uh, but I have a relative on the inside and that's that was my ticket in. My relative works in the or worked in high up part of camp. So that's that's the reason I got sent, or that's how I got sent. Well, you'd said it was, I think, three hours of schooling, three days a week, right? Yes. Where did you do the rest of the time? Um, we they had us on a pretty regimented routine. Wake up when the sun rises. Uh, clean our oh we had to empty our check this out chamber pots um we had to empty that out and you didn't get your own chamber pot you had to share with like five or six other girls that slept in your tent with you because we lived in actual tents and slept on donated prison beds um but so it was a lot of cleaning cooking and then cleaning up after you cook, starting a fire. But it was also a lot of chopping wood. That seems like one of the main things we did was chop wood, chop trees, skin the trees. Yep. 
So here, here, teenage delinquents, here's a sharp axe. Nothing bad could happen with that. Was this a, uh, like a correctional department program? No, it was actually called a therapeutic camp. Um, it was under an umbrella of like, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, so they, they had a, in Dallas, they had a, a main base and it provided family counseling, individual counseling and schooling for kids that either the court sends them there. Um, it was a lot of underprivileged um, kids. Um, and then they have this, this offshoot of the camp. So you one, you know, you didn't have to attend the school to go to the camp and vice versa. Were there any, um, any interesting highlights? Was any of it fun for those nine months of your life? Yeah. Yeah. It, that's a good question. <laughs> that's a loaded question because once I got out there, I was so, it took, like I said, it took about two weeks and at the two week mark, I was like, well, this is my new reality. I live here now. I'm never going home again. And cause again, when you're 14, you're like, time is such a weird thing. Um, and so I was like, I'm going to melt into this. And so yeah, I, I had, I made some really good friends out there. Uh, one of my best friends out there, her and I just riled each other up. So we would sing because we couldn't have music. That was hard. Um, we would run around, you know, climb our tents. We just kind of went nuts, went wild. It was kind of Lord of the Flies, honestly. Yeah, I was thinking about that. What kind of supervision did you have? Uh, was it 24-7? Obviously, in, oh, the yeah. in the classrooms, you were you were watched, but. Yeah, um, yeah, it was interesting. Our counselors were in college, and they were doing this for, like, college um, credits. Um, they were 22 years old. Like, they were either from 21 to, like, 24 years old. And in my mind, because I had two older brothers, they were the same age as my brothers. And I was thinking, I don't have to listen to them. Um, so yeah, they had counselors for each individual group. There were, um, I should say, there were three girls groups and three boys groups. And I uh, you know, went from like, I don't know, 11 or maybe even 10 to 13 year olds. And then my group was like 14. 13, 14, 15 year olds. And then the older girls group was, you know, up to 17. Um, so we had three counselors for each girls group. And I've talked to them recently when writing my book just to get their take on it. And they were just like, I mean, they must've felt like kids too. The school part was actually pretty, uh, it was pretty serene. I think everyone wanted to be in school. It was pretty calm. Our teacher, one of my, my favorite teacher was an uh, older woman. She was like in her 80s. She was the sweetest lady. And no one misbehaved in her class. Because school was a privilege out there. You know, if we were bad, it, they had kind of a military 
um, philosophy. Like if one girl was acting bad, the rest of us would pay. So if one girl was acting bad at school, we would have to leave. And no, none of us wanted that. So, yeah. Any other interesting stories that uh, maybe are in the book, maybe haven't made it in the book yet? So many. There's so many. The one that always sticks out to me is the weirdest and the most traumatic um, is when the schools, I mean, the camp's bus left me on the side of the highway uh, and just left left me there. Yeah. So um, we didn't get to go home very much, or at least I didn't. Some, some girls got to go home more than others because it was all based on behavior. Um, but... It was after Christmas, the camp shut down for a few days. And so they loaded us up on the bus, drove us to Dallas. From there, our parents would pick us up. So on the way back, my parents uh, dropped me off at the Dallas office to, to ride the bus back to the camp. One of the camp's main rules was it would not stop the bus for any reason. Um, so that meant like if you had to go to the bathroom, you're out of luck. Well, I had to go to the bathroom so, so bad. They would not pull over. Um, I ended up making a big scene. They ended up pulling the bus over to talk about why I'm out of control. And I took that uh, opportunity to bolt out the bus. A pee. I had a pee. So I go down this little ravine, little ditch and pee and I finished start walking up and I see three other girls from the younger girls groups come down and they go to the bathroom we all share a cigarette and I'm like all right guys let's go back up we go back up and the bus was gone we could see the back of the bus in the the far distance and we just stood there on the side of the road I mean, this was in the middle of winter, I should say. Also, we had none of our stuff with us, like our, our bags. One girl didn't have shoes on. And we just stood there flabbergasted, speechless, until finally it's the sun started setting. We realized they were not going to come back for us. And the girls looked at me and they were like, what do we do, Jill? I'm like, I don't know, guys. I'm 14. And they were like, well, you're the oldest. You have to be the leader. So. How old were they? The youngest was 12. The girl that didn't have shoes on was 12. Okay. Um, and then the other two were 13. And I was the oldest at four, 14 and a half. <laughs> so this is in the middle of nowhere in winter on the highway. I said, let's get the hell off the highway because we're going to get murdered and raped or, you know. So we shot across that four, four lane highway and started making our way, winding around these, I don't even know where we were. I mean, there were fields and cows and I was trying to look for like a shed or a barn for us to stay in for the night because it was so cold. Um, and we were going to like, be the boxcar children and just like live in this shed because I developed a, a a plan we had talked about walking back to camp and I was like no hell no 
and we can't go home. So let's find a shed. We'll live in the shed or barn. I'll go get a job tomorrow um, and steal like Pringles and, you know, Dr. Pepper, beef jerky, and we'll live off that. And I'll finish raising us. That was my big plan. How far from <laughs> how far from camp were you? Do you remember? We were about an hour and a half outside. And yeah, so we ended up the girl with shoes, no shoes on, we were giving her piggyback rides uh through fields and we ended up walking until like three, four, five in the morning, and a police officer pulled us over. And we tried to duck into the bushes real quick, but he knew because um, the camp had called out to be on the lookout for runaways. They called us runaways. Um, so the police officer, you know, put us in the car and the three girls were sitting in the back and I was in the front and they were like, can we turn on the lights? Have you seen a dead body? Uh, and I'm thinking, crap. I, I wanted to raise us, you know, I wanted to, I didn't want to go. Anyway, he took us to uh, this little tiny one room prison and there was a drunk guy in the drunk tank. Gay gave us peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and they called our parents and we all got picked up individually. And I never saw them again after that night because I had to go right back to camp and their parents were pissed and they took them out. I mean, they were, uh, camp was lucky they didn't, they weren't sued, but I went right back the next day and I was so, just felt terrible that those girls didn't go back. And I did. Anyway. Well, fearless leader takes the, uh, takes the fall, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wait, anything else? Anything else come to mind after that event uh, until you, you left? I mean, there was just too many to name, honestly. Just, I mean, there was definitely the daily grind of, of you know, chamber pots and spam and fires and, you know, and, and, I, and I got close with, with all the girls out there. I think about them a lot, especially in the last couple of years. Um, and I, I don't know, you know, when you're 14 and you're friends with the kid, you know, their first name, but you're not going to know their last name. Or if you did, you forget. Um, so I, you know, I bet I would love to get in touch with some of those girls and see how they turned out. And I hope that they're happy. I hope that, I don't know, for me, being sent to, to camp was one of the most traumatic things that ever happened to me. Um, but I know for a fact that being sent out to that camp was not the most traumatic thing that it had ever happened to some of those girls, you know? So I hope it helped some of them. It definitely didn't help me, <laughs> but I can well, see the, you know, I don't know. I, I just think that they, they, I mean, evidence-based research shows that places like that do harm, more harm than good on teenagers. So well, fast forwarding a bit, tell me about the journey back home nine months later. The journey home was rough. Because nine months to a kid seems like forever. That's your, I mean, hell, two months seems like forever. Um, I didn't open a lot of my mail. So I had, like, from friends back home. 
I, I open a few people in their mail, but um, all my friends that wrote me, I did not read their letters. I saved them and I read them later in life, but um, I, I didn't want to know how life was going on without me. You know, it was too hard. Um, so coming back, it was like plop. Here you go. You're back in society. I had no like counseling. That would have been good. It was a jolt to the system. Very much a jolt. And I felt like I couldn't relate to my peers anymore. And I felt stigmatized, you know, people didn't know where I was. I mean, they just thought I got sent away to a mental institution, which I could see why they would think that. Um, I've never been diagnosed with any mental disorders except for PTSD um, from camp. <laughs> so I'm trying to work through that. But yeah, it was hard. It was definitely hard. Did those nine months set you back in school? Absolutely. Absolutely. So where I grew up, ninth grade was still junior high, even though you're getting high school credits. And that's when I was out there that whole ninth grade year, I was out at camp. So when I got home, 10th grade was high school, was starting, you know, at a different campus. So when I went to go enroll with my mom, the principal of our high, local high school was like, hey, Jill didn't earn enough credits to go on to 10th grade. And I just lost it. I just lost it. My mom did too. We were bawling. And he was like, all right, all right, all right. I know you've been through a lot. Here's what we can do for you. We'll say, you know, chopping wood was wood shop. It was an elective or, you know, I can't remember what else, but basically math, science, and something else, Jill has to go to special ed. And I was like, what? So it was either go to special ed or go back to middle school in ninth grade were the, my two choices. So I went to um, special ed, went through my high school career, and I was one credit short of graduating. One credit. Made it to my senior year, couldn't graduate. So I just got my GED. <laughs> so yeah, it really put me far, far, far behind. Yeah. Well, fill me in a little bit about life after that, up until I guess you, you met your husband. So I, I, like I told you, I went to um, a couple of semesters of junior college. Didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, my, my brother, older, oldest brother was a hairdresser and I'd always been kind of obsessed with my hair and concerned about my hair. So he talked me into going to hair school and I ended up loving it, working with him. And that is when I met my husband was the day I graduated hair school. I threw a party with my mom's permission. She said it was okay, but it was a rager. It was awesome. There were break dancers there. Anyway, I invited everyone at the hair school. Y'all, come on, it's a party. And he was dating, I mean, um, a girl, a friend that uh, I went to hair school with was dating his brother, Carlos. And uh, she invited him. He showed up. I shot him with a BB gun and he fell in love. <laughs> Why did you shoot him? 
He put an apple on his head and wanted me to shoot it off his head. That's better than the alternative, I guess. Yeah, I wasn't just like, you get on out of here. No, it was it was more mischief. <laughs> I did not learn my lesson at Bad Girl Camp. I still play tricks. Do you have yeah. any children? Yes, I have two boys. I actually have a 14-year-old right now. Two boys. My oldest is 19. And they've always known about camp because when we would drive to uh, Louisiana, we would have to drive past where the camp was. It's it was like an hour and a half before Longview. So I don't know if you know where that is. So I, I've always been honest with them about it from the beginning. Yeah. And they've read my book and I've got the they're definitely very supportive. Very, very, very supportive. What are they up to these days? Um, they apple doesn't fall far from the tree. They are very, they're pranksters, and Gabe is too. Um, they're musicians and very creative. My oldest son wants to be a human rights lawyer, so I'm definitely down with that. And my youngest son goes to a fine arts school. Yeah, he just actually the last. He won't mind me telling you this real quick, but um, he never really gets in trouble at school. He, he does. He does good. Uh, but that last week before school ended, I got called in because he drew a wiener in a yearbook. And I was thinking, OK, it's an art school. And also, like, was it a realistic wiener? Was it a cartoon wiener? What are we what are we dealing with here? And what was the result? It was a cartoon one. Yeah. Uh, I got in trouble in, in, when was that? Seventh grade? Over like Mad Libs in the hallway with oh, a buddy of mine. Really? Yeah. But my aunt, of course, was a teacher there. So I usually got off. My buddy took the blame <sighs> in three instances. My, my dearest friend <laughs> had to go home and write a paper. But anyway. Um, oh, what a guy. That's yeah. a good friend right there. Yep. And we're still still in touch occasionally, but it's been quite a quite a uh, quite a while. Madlibs uh, is boring if you don't add in a little weirdness, you know, a little little. It's, you're supposed to be a little inappropriate when playing Madlib Madlibs. These were probably considerably inappropriate for a seventh grader, <laughs> but uh, anyway. <laughs> um. So, how long have you been working on this book? Well, I've taken a hiatus from it, but really I wrote the bones in three weeks because I had it just, it was like a purge. And I, you know, I wrote it on my phone's memo, like notes. So it was one long paragraph and uh, I had someone edit it for me. On and off, I've been, the, the three weeks that I wrote, that I purged was hard, hard, because I hadn't thought about these things in years. And it's changed my perspective. It's changed relationships. So on and off since 2001, I mean, 21, excuse me. So a couple of years. How has your relationship with your parents been since you got back? I mean, I immediately 
I never not had a relationship with my parents. My relationship with my dad is, uh, was touch and go growing up, but we became really close. My parents also immediately regretted sending me there. I think they saw, you know, with the cracks that I fell in afterwards. Um, and, and they apologized constantly, constantly. And sometimes I would bring it up as a joke too. Like when the family member that was my ticket in, like at Christmas, Thanksgiving, everyone's there. And I'm like, hey, everyone, uh, I know it's been 12 years or 20 years, but I'm still mad about camp, guys. And everyone would be like, oh, Jill. But, um, you know, they, they, they apologize profusely, and I do forgive them. Could they have pulled you out of there ahead of the nine months? Or, I mean, how did, how did that work? I asked them that. I mean, I think they could have, but I, my mom says that she constantly got, oh, Jill's doing so much better. She needs more time. She needs more time. I mean, if it was my kid, I would drive up there and grab him, yank him out of there. But, you know, I'm going to give, you know, everyone the benefit of the doubt and think that they were doing what they thought was best for me at the time. And not realizing that it would it would cause such trauma <laughs> and abandonment issues and you know stuff like that, but I don't know. I I definitely have always forgiven them, even from day one. Yeah, I know that they. I I really do think that they had my best intentions. And at hand, I think they were just misguided. Well, I don't want to, I'd like to end on a, on a high point, not, not so much, uh, abandonment, yeah. abandonment and, and issues like that. Um, where, where are you in the, in the publishing stages now? Um, I'm about to start a rewrite. Um, and that's where I'm at. I've had, a, I've had interest in multiple, you know, um, people wanting to help me find, you know, a publisher, but I don't think I'm quite there yet with my book. I want to, I, I agree, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot of great feedback and, and this has been such a cool journey so far, like meeting people in this world, the writing world, the publishing world. It's fun. It's hard in a good way. You know, I, I feel like it pushes me, pushes me to want to be better a better writer and really capture. So that's my next thing is, is, you know, as I'm seeking representation and maybe even mentor, um, I would like to start a rewrite, but this definitely has been a positive experience. You know, even though it was a hard experience and traumatic, it has been positive for sure. I think it's important to look back sometimes in order to move forward. Maybe we can do this again when the book comes out. I would love to, because you got an awesome voice. <laughs> well, thank you. But uh, you know, that'll, that'll pretty much do it, Jill. I do thank you for your time this afternoon. Yeah, thank you. This has been a production of Where You At Studios, LLC.